Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How you doing, Cecil? Did you have a rough week like the rest of us here in Florida? Oh, man, you have absolutely no idea. Like, I think <laughs> this this storm threw everybody for a loop, man. It's been crazy. So for, for those of you who, who don't know, um, we in Florida have had a fairly major hurricane uh, go through the entire state, not just a small bit of it like some storms have done. We're all, some of us have power, some of us have internet, some of us don't have either. But uh, it was a rough one. This was a this was a bad one. Yeah, there's lots of parts of Fort Lauderdale that still don't have power. My son's school doesn't have power. He's going to be out for a little bit. A lot of folks are still without internet. Um, so it's it was it was definitely definitely a rough time, man. Yeah. So so what was your story, man? So how did how did you weather the storm? Oh, okay. So we left on the Thursday afternoon. So I think at that time the storm was projected to hit on Sunday. And so Thursday, you know, we put up all the shutters, you know, got all everything prepped and ready. And then we said, Category 5, we're out. So jumped in the car <laughs> and drove straight north. Um, so initially, we were planning to go to Atlanta to stay by some friends of ours. But then, you know, we, we stopped to get some food and gas up and stuff like that. And then looking at the GPS, the time just kept going up. So first, we're going to get to Atlanta at 8. Then it was 9.30, then it was 10, then it was 10.30. Then I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm just going to drive over to, to Tallahassee and stay over there. Because um, at that time, the storm was still projected to be going up the East Coast. Right. And so, believe it or not, we go to Tallahassee, which is on the West Coast of Florida. The storm is now coming up the West Coast. Yeah. Oh, great. The storm's <laughs> following me. So, and you're pretty far inland up in Fort Lauderdale, right? I mean, you're not on the, the, the water or anything. No, we're not close to the water or anything, but our community is technically surrounded by water because there's a lot of inlets, a lot of man-made lakes and stuff like that. Mm. So even yesterday, so yesterday, obviously, post-hurricane, it rained most of the afternoon and my road was flooded. So imagine what would have happened if, you know, the hurricane actually come through, right? Like we would have been, you know, the roads would have been underwater. I wouldn't have been able to leave. So, so we just thought it was probably a better idea for us to get out of here. Yeah, um, we decided to leave um, uh, the day after you did, so we left on a Friday. But we are were actually in an evacuation zone, so uh, they have evacuation zones all over the county, and they've just redid all this where there's A through E, and A and Bs were called first, and then we're in C, but we're only a mile away from the ocean, so we're fairly um, high up. And when C was called, I I found a a house for rent in a little town called Haines City, which is just south of Orlando, and rented rented that house for four days. <laughs> got my parents, they got their cats, got my sister, and got my five cats into four carriers and the two kids, and we just headed up there. And it took us about six hours for a four-hour drive, but um, we were able to find gas on the way up. We were able to hit the grocery store. You know, the restaurants were open. And it turns out that we we're fleeing from a at that point category four and where it hit us was a category two and the eye almost went directly over us so uh, yeah we weren't running into a safe room or anything like that we still felt pretty safe during the middle of a category two but we still heard things hit the house and things like that and when we woke up um, water was coming in through the front door and probably was an issue to begin with and everyone's had house had lost screens and everyone had lost shingles off their house. And I'm thinking to myself, in a Category 2 you in South Florida, you really, 100 miles an hour wind, you really shouldn't be losing any shingles. And when we finally come home, you know, two days later, we take a look at our house. And our house, we still don't know if we sustained roof damage yet. There was a, a lot. It was about five branches, big branches that hit our roof yet. So the mm-hmm. roof is coming out today. There's a ton of tree debris, leaves everywhere. Uh, falling branches. I mean, and we were getting 100 mile per hour winds here 
for a good day and a half. I mean, that's how long it was, as opposed to where we were in Haines City, which lasted about four hours. So um, I think you get in, I think that's the difference between building codes in Central Florida versus building codes in Miami-Dade. I didn't lose any shingles. Nothing um, was, there was really no visible damage to any of the house, except I got that one big branch just almost spiked my roof and um, it left a little indentation. So I'm pretty sure that's going to have to be repaired. But other than that, we fared pretty well. I mean, I think we dodged a bullet here in Florida. Um, the keys got hit pretty hard. But other than that, this could have been much, much worse. Yeah, it could have been. We definitely got lucky. And, you know, we just have to be thankful for, you know, not having as much damage as some other places got. If you look at some places in the Caribbean, Barbuda, I think, is probably like the most notable right now. Like they yeah. got hammered pretty bad. I know St. Martin got hammered pretty bad, you know, Tortola, a lot of those other countries. So, you know, we were definitely, yeah. we're definitely lucky. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was looking pretty scary there when it was 180 miles per hour going dead center for right up the east side of the coast. And like, ah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is, we prepare for this in Florida. We understand that this is kind of, this is Grand Central Station for hurricanes. We had a plan and we enacted it and we were told to leave. We left, we had a place to go. We kind of all, you know, we knew what, what to do. So, you know, was, there's no surprises for us, you know, whatsoever. Um, yeah. We're, we're told what to do. I'm, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of Miami-Dade County. Uh, I don't, I don't know about Broward. I think Broward was the same, but they were, I mean, the thing is like four days away and they're opening shelters and they're getting people out, you know, because to evacuate, I think um, 700,000 people were evacuated out of Miami-Dade County. It's going to take a while. You can't do that the day before. So they, they did what they were supposed to do as far as getting, pe seeing the danger, getting people out. It wasn't a direct hit, but it was still pretty bad. Um, my, my wife went to the store today. There's still no bread. There's still no meat. There was limited milk. Lim there, there, were, there were no eggs. They're still trying. The gas is, is still, you can't pull up to a gas station. You got to find a gas station with gas and still wait. It's, it's an inconvenience now, but it could have been so much worse. Yeah, same thing up here. Gas is hard to find. You know, certain things in the store are hard to find. But, you know, again, like you said, like it's just, you know, we just got to be thankful that that's, yeah. that's the, you know, those are the things that we're worrying about. So on top of that, I kind of wanted to mention too. So recently we interviewed Laura Hogan. And Laura Hogan is, um, you know, she's going to be a future guest of ours, and she actually works at Kickstarter. And she has a book called Designing for Performance. And right now, if you buy her book, 100% of the proceeds are going to go out to charities that are going to help hurricane victims. So I think initially it was for victims of Harvey. Uh, I'm pretty sure eventually that's going to be for victims of Urban too. So what we'll do is we'll make sure we have that link inside of the show notes. You guys can check it out. But you can go to ACTTP, designingforperformance.com, and you'll be able to, you know, buy a book. And then again, some of that, those proceeds, actually 100% of those proceeds, we're going to go over to helping hurricane victims. Yeah, I can't wait to get that episode out. She was lots of fun to talk to. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Chris Coyer. So Chris is a web designer and developer. He writes about all things web at CSS Tricks, talks about all things web at conferences around the world, and on his podcast, Shock Talk, Shop Talk, <laughs> co-founded the web coding playground, CodePen. This episode was recorded on May 31st, 2017, and now our conversation with Chris Coyer. And now, away from the keyboards feature conversation. I remember a couple of years ago when I first started my, you know, my, my software development career and, and I was building web apps with ASP.NET and I was horrible at CSS. Like the last thing I wanted to do was to design something. And every time I, you know, try to Google, how does this work? or How does that work? I always popped up into this site called CSS tricks. And I swear to you, that site was such a lifesaver for me. And so for today's show, I'm really glad that we have the opportunity to talk to Chris Coyer, who is the, the owner of the site, I guess you could say, or the, the founder of CSS Tricks. Can we say that, Chris? Yeah, sure. Hey, thanks for having me, Cecil, Richie. Good to, good to be here. Uh, indeed, CSS Tricks is still, um, you know, it's a chunk of, of, of my career. It still exists, still going strong. When we write. It's long since been a site only about CSS. These days, we talk about pretty much anything web design development involved. You know, it tends to skew a little more front-endy, 
but it really is 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 anything these days that I think is interesting and relevant to the world of building websites, you know. So it'll, yeah, it'll be it'll be 10 years old this uh this 4th of July. It's you know, it's not ancient, but it's you know, it's been around. Well, on behalf of web developers all over that are not designers, we thank you <laughs> tremendously. Because it's been a great resource for a lot of us, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that's the goal, you know, put stuff out there that ends up <laughs> being useful. And so today it's kind of, it's a mix of, you know, news almost and, and yeah. you know, staying on top of what's interesting and what's happening in front end and really making websites in general. And then, and then that like kind of long-term referenceable stuff which is sometimes a different thing. Right. And so, Chris, for some of our listeners that may not know who you are or, you know, know your mm -hmm. background, could you tell us a little bit about your journey and, you know, how did you even get started in web development in the first place? I mean, it's, it was just deciding it was cool, really. There's there's a lot to like about building websites, really. And, you know, right. I've lived a privileged life, really. So, so I have that kind of going for me. I you know, I grew up in um, right outside of Madison, Wisconsin, and we had just a really like well-funded, nice school district that had a really nice art program. You know, a lot. You know, it's known for its ceramics art program, and I was into that. And it, we had a really nice computer lab and a great computer teacher. So I was, you know, I was compelled to to take some computer programming classes early. And my parents got me a, a, a early Mac. Uh, you know, the, nice. Uh, yeah, it was like a, what was it, the 636 CD, I think that might have been pre-Mac, and that, you know, upgraded every few years for me or whatever, and I was way into it. I just thought computers were cool, and I was something of a computer nerd kid, uh, and was just doing stuff, and then, you know, so when there's a programming class in high school that seemed really like, I don't know, e not easy, but... You know, there's not a lot riding on it. I didn't have to major in anything in, in high school. I went for it, and I loved the teacher, uh, and he was great. And I programmed stuff and, and, and got into it as a hobby more than the class. You know, I'd come in early to school and uh, work on my programs and stuff and really wanted to be top of the class. I really wanted to do good. And there was people I could look up to there that were that had taken his classes before and were also really into it and would, you know, go to the computer lab during their study hall and be learning stuff that was influential to me it was turbo pascal at the time and i liked that language and yeah put in the time and got good at it ish you know i'm sure if i'd look back i'm sure i was terrible at it but it felt good at it you know compared to the other kids just learning and so then it came time for college and i was like well i liked the art stuff a lot but that doesn't seem like something that feels particularly practical to major in. So let's do the computer science thing. Or it really wasn't. It really wasn't called computer science when I went. It was called management computer systems, which was kind of half business, half computer stuff in a way. And uh, ended up going to school for that for a long while before being totally bored by it. And at the last minute in college, switching back to art. So I was in college for a long time, but ultimately got a Bachelor of Arts and not that management computer systems degree. So I took a bunch of computer classes, but didn't end up getting the degree in that, uh, but but stayed with it. And through the whole time in college, I was a computer nerd too. Like regardless of what I was doing at school, my free time was spent at the computer doing stuff, which wasn't websites at the time, but were things that were website-like networking and stuff. When I went for art, it was ceramics, but it was also then I, because I needed a BA, there's a bunch of requirements for a BA, like 2D and 3D and painting and all kinds of stuff. And, and and in addition to like learning Illustrator and Photoshop and all these things that were kind of required for a graphic design focus, which I had as well. So then I got, you know, not good, but I was familiar with all those design tools and it all started smashing together. Like I can do a little bit of programming. I can do a little design. I know about art. And, you know, you know, looking back, all those things kind of smashed together. And it's like, of course I went into the web. The web is all those things smashed together. So Chris, as a designer, do you do any... Do you have any experience doing any um, development work? Like, because I can imagine people ask you a lot to, you know, build websites, and you've worked on website projects. Do you ever get down into having to write, I don't know, Python or Ruby or PHP or any of that type of stuff? Or every day, yeah. I mean, I'm not tend to not call myself because I'm not amazing at it. Like, I think I would struggle if I had to build a Rails app all by myself. I think I would like from scratch 
you know, this, I could, I could, I would probably be a little confused by it and be blocked here and there. And I could get through it though, probably, you know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I'd been around this stuff long enough to get and have enough reference stuff I could look at, know enough people that I could ask questions to that it wouldn't be the end of the world, but is it necessarily my forte, you know, but I'm in and out. I think once an app exists, like for example, CodePen is a Rails app, I feel pretty comfortable in there. Not often do I write queries to get my own data and write my own services and helper methods and all that. But I kind of know when it's like, you know what, there probably should be a helper for this. Maybe I'll take a stab at it. Or maybe I'll ask somebody to write one for me so that it's in the style of the app that already exists. So I know enough to ask for what I need kind of thing. And then, or if something just needs to be altered, if I'm like, oh, this thing's returning only one, but it really needs to be returning 10. So I can, I can find where that is and change it for myself. You know, like I'm not helpless in there. Uh, And then I, you know, that, that's kind of like the Ruby side. I feel like, but useful enough in there. I can make my own little route. I can make my own little controller that renders a view and puts together some partials. Like I'm okay there, but I wouldn't, but I'm not thinking about security. I'm not thinking about the performance. I'm not thinking about, is that query fast or not? I don't know that stuff. So I don't really consider myself really great at, at backend in that way. But then there's, you know, on the PHP side, I've been working in WordPress for over a decade. Like I feel pretty comfortable in that. I work on Word, I look at some WordPress code every day, which is PHP land, although it's its own kind of world and WordPress, but I feel yeah. pretty comfortable doing absolutely anything I need to do on the theme side and the plugin side uh, of WordPress. So, I'm, you know, I'm not totally a, a unicorn. I'm probably better at, I don't even know what to call myself these days because <laughs> I do some of that stuff and I do design stuff and I do front end development, whatever form that may take and plenty of JavaScript and stuff. But then also a lot of what I do is, I don't know, developer outreach and marketing and talking to people and guiding my own team towards what I think we should be doing. And so the, you know, what I do on any given day is very variable. And I know earlier up in your career, you used to work for, I think you used to work for Wufu and you used to work for SurveyMonkey, but now you're doing CSS tricks and Copen full-time, I'm guessing? Yeah, yeah. That was, you know, even during when CSS tricks existed, you know, I had that site and then went off to work for Wufu, which was independent at the time, which is also down there in Florida. That was the first time I lived in Florida was Wufu was based in Tampa. Oh, so really? I lived there for a while. And then they they sold to SurveyMonkey. So that's still true today. Wufu still exists as an independent product, but it's like kind of under the SurveyMonkey under the umbrella brand. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so it's still a, you know, it's still a working web app, you know, not like a ton has been done to it, but some has in the time. So it's still like works and is a, is a, is a, is a good product. It hasn't had like a, ton, a lot of huge innovation done to it or whatever since those days, but it's a, it's a web form builder that I still use all the time. You know, it does a great job of being that. And I was, I wasn't super early at Wufu, but I was there for a number of years while it was, while we were building out new features for it and stuff. And then went to SurveyMonkey for a while because that was kind of mandatory after that sell. And that was cool too, a totally different experience on a much bigger product. Uh, and then and then towards the end of that was like, I need to like be working from home again. <laughs> yeah. uh, I liked that a lot. That's a good feeling. Yeah. And I was like, CSS Tricks has grown up enough that I think if I made like, if I, you know, did the college try on it, I could probably make it happen. So did, did that and did okay at it but also i had some friends that were like let's build something together and that was basically like the origin of code pen was let's build something again together because we like working together and my idea was let's build something that's useful for me on css tricks but then it kind of grew up fairly quickly so it's almost like you you know you guys got together for a little side project kind of because you just like being around each other, right, and working with each other. Yeah, we worked together at Wufu, we worked together at SurveyMonkey, and then and then decided to make a go of it, which again was privileged in a sense that it wasn't particularly risky for any of us that I had CSS tricks to, in a sense, fall back on. Like there was some income coming in there, and worst the worst case scenario for so many of us in tech is like, well, go work somewhere else for a great salary, you know. Like yeah. if you if you have some if you're a good developer and can prove it, you're not 
in dire straits these days, as, as, as far as I know. And then, and and then the, the other two guys made out a little better from the Wufu sale than I did because they were at Wufu longer, so they like owned a little bit of it, uh, which meant that they had a little bit of a nest egg. Meaning that you know, because that not only got that nest egg, but then went and had a great salary at SurveyMonkey. So when we left there, they were like, "Well, I have a little money tucked away." So all three of us were like, "We can." give this a year, two, three, and not be, you know, we're not taking, you know, you're not in too much trouble, you know, right? Like you're not going right. to be, in a I, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs really take big risks, uh, you know, and I've, you know, I admire that, but and it looks like we did on paper, but didn't, didn't really. <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit also about, about CodePen, mainly too, because I've noticed a lot of my students are, are using CodePen now. And so I, I think it's pretty interesting what um, what it is. So, and I know this is your full-time gig now too, right? So could you tell me a little bit about why is it that you decided to start CodePen? Yeah. And what was like, what was the problem that you were trying to solve at the time? We already went there a little bit, which is the, you know, I wanted to build something with my, my friends and we wanted to, you know, make a go at just building something together. And in those early conversations were like, I don't know, maybe we should get into like WordPress themes. That seems like decent business. Or maybe we should build, I don't know, some sports app or something. Like we were, the, the, the table was open for what we want to build. So, you know, the, at the very first, I was like, let's build something that's like JS Fiddle, JS Bin, that, which kind of existed at the time, because I blog about front-end stuff at CSS Tricks. I have for a long time. I have tons, hundreds and hundreds of demos on CSS Tricks. The way that I did demos was I FTP'd into my server. I made a folder called slash examples, you know? Right. And then when I, and then when I was making another example, I'd make a folder inside that that was called like jQuery tabs or something like that. And then mm -hmm. in that folder, I'd have index.html that had a document in it. And then over time, I'm like, oh, let's put, let's call that file index.php because I want to have like a a consistent header and footer for all my demos. So I sure. need some like server side includes for all my demos. And then I did that. And so okay, I have this like crappy structure for all my demos it's this it's this header and then it's the demo area in the footer and then i'm writing an article and i want to send people to the demo i just link to that and it just was like fine but how you know it's okay so you can see the demo there's nothing helping me with this demo if people want to look at the code i need to like write in some elaborate way to to look at the code somehow some way or just say like well if you want to look at the code just view source or whatever it's like uh not awful but not great and then these there are these tools js fiddle js bin that are like oh i get it you look at you're looking at the html and the css and the javascript right there on the screen and you're seeing the output from it and you can type and edit and play with it right there it was like clearly this is the way to show off front-end demos i mean they cracked it this is clearly uh how these things should be for a minute there for a little while it's like i'm gonna move all these things to uh to one or the other you know i'd pick JS Fiddle or whatever and put some demos on that then the view demo link in the blog post would just link over to the JS Fiddle and it was better it was better than it was before because it's like oh I this is a great demo you know maybe I can even embed it on my own site you know I think it was before they had embeds but so then I was like but I don't know like I don't know the people behind this thing I still really don't uh, what if they go out of business? Well, it doesn't seem like they have any sort of business model here. So that seems scary to me. And, you know, why don't I build one of these things? This seems like something I'm capable of building myself. So I'll build one. And then it, basically it'll be under my control, but it'll also be under my design control. Like I can make one that I think looks and acts a little better. And if we want to add a new feature, I just will because it's mine and I'll add a new feature. So we built that and we're thinking maybe it'll be some open source thing that you just install everywhere or whatever. And I uh, maybe we'll do that. It seemed to get a little hard because we were integrating like a login system into it. And then we are, you know, I have, I work with server guys. So they're like, let's have all these things, all these little parts of this app run on different servers. And that seemed like a lot to ask for an open source project. Anyway, we're like, let's not open source it. We'll open source parts of the things that we do, but let's just have an app, you know, it'll not be open source like GitHub isn't open source, you know, it's a, right. it's just right, an right, app. Uh, so we built it and like, let's just have, let's just host it. We'll just, it's got a name. We'll buy the domain name for it, .io, input, output, because why not? You know, it turns out that's like actually like an island nation that is having trouble. So, but so that's another is story. It? But yeah, oh, IO yeah. is like, there's a website called the dark side of IO that's worth checking out. Huh. Um, anyway, uh, so we built it and then, and then we're like, 
it just grew up from there. You know, it's perfect for CSS tricks. I can host all my demos on it, but, you know, we'll have other people log in and be able to make their own demos as well. And then why not build some basic social features where we can follow each other and heart each other's stuff? Why don't we have commenting on there? We might as well get that in there. This is a web app in Rails. It should be pretty trivial to build. Let's, you know, let's track views on it and track some other metadata stuff so we know what's popular. Let's, uh, you know, let's build some admin views so we can see what the coolest thing people are building today I, I i'm just curious like we code pen is out there now let's uh let's see what people are doing with it and then it became so cool to like be looking at what the coolest things people were building that day let's make that the home page you know and i'm actually on um copen right now and i'm, I'm browsing through the home page and it, it feels like it's more than just coming online and coding right like there's a like there's a community here Oh, yeah, hugely. I mean, and that's just a construct of allowing people to sign up for a thing a lot and having basic social features like you follow me, I follow you, we can heart, you know, the popularity is tracked. And, you know, as long as you take care of that community and make sure there's no bad actors and you have a code of conduct and you enforce that and and are a nice, welcoming place, the, you know, the, the community comes and they have. And now CodePen is much more than just a place to code. It's a place to code and kind of be a be a part of something. I kind of have to ask you, I mean, did you did you see it becoming the site that it is today? Like when you first had your vision for it? No, although I, I probably knew that 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 I didn't know what it was gonna become in a sense. Like we'll just react to what it is. I mean, this wasn't yeah. necessarily our first web app, so mm-hmm. <laughs> we just you know that you kind of roll with the punches. But we did know you know, fairly early on, let's make this something in which that we can sell pro plants here. I mean, we're leaving our jobs, you know, in a sense sure. for this, like there, there's got to be some way to make this a business. So let's go for that. And the very first thing we did was figure out what a pro plan would be and go freemium. And that was very intentional because it was, we know that apps that you charge monthly for tend to be the big winners. And like, that's a great way to monetize a web app is charge monthly or yearly for, you know, have some renewing plan for, for a thing. It worked wonderfully for both Wufu and SurveyMonkey, which was our primary previous experience. And, you know, if you follow tech news or whatever, it tends to be those kind of companies that, that are the most successful. And, and just in your mind, it feels understandable. You're like, I see, I have a base. Of, if I can sell 10 plans at $9 a month, we're making $90 a month. That's cool. And it seems yep. reasonable that if I do some marketing and keep building the features that people want, maybe next month I'll have 15 members. And maybe the month after that, I'll have 20. And, and, and it seems like having this base that you can grow from and you can rely on and you can make decisions about what part of that incoming money is going to go towards advertising and what parts goes to salaries and what parts go to other things it's like i can that just feels right that feels like a business to me so let's build it so i'm, I'm again i'm on your website and i'm looking at it so i can come into copen i could create pretty much front-end applications right so css sas i guess yeah. javascript i so you have some level of es 2015, 2016 integration, that type of stuff in here. Yeah, you, I mean, the pen editor on CodePen, which is the heart and soul, it's the primary thing that people do on CodePen is, is write HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. But there is some, you know, and you're right, it's 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 front end primarily, but but you can pick Haml or Slim or Pug or or whatever, SAS right. or Less or Post-CSS. You can add add-ons to those Some things. of those other things. TypeScript, um, you know, yeah. Babel, LiveScript, CoffeeScript any of those things. You just turn them on and then you're coding in that. And you save it and you get a URL that's shareable uh, and there's different views of it. Like, you know, there's just features. So for example, you'd, you'd pay for CodePen if you want live view, one of our views that as you code, it's updating the preview that you see on the page, but it gives you this URL that's a full page view of what you're looking at with no CodePen UI. But as you type, it's updating it. So I can open that on my phone and be working in CodePen, but having it watch it live update on my phone, which is nice for development reasons, or open it up in an app like crossbrowsertesting.com, which uh, allows me to look at it in IE 11 or something and have it be updating as I'm, 
as I'm typing. That's like, so, you know, there's certain features that are locked behind pro plan, that being one of them. We have this, I should say though, we have this, and it's still front endy, but we have a brand new feature as of a couple, just a few months ago called uh, projects. So pens are what I just described. And projects have a lot of the same features in that you can write in Hamel and Pug and Slim and stuff. There's a few additional ones in projects like Nunjux and stuff, but it's a little bit more like you're used to developing on your local computer. Like a lot of us use Atom or Sublime or Visual Studio Code or whatever, where you you open some kind of code editor or IDE and there's like a sidebar of files and folders and you click on them and they open those files as tabs and you edit them and save them. Like you're, you're looking at a file system. There's right. images in there. There's JSON files in there, whatever. That's what projects is. It's not just limited to HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. It's a whole file system and you can do whatever you want in there with it. You can't write a Python app in there. But you can um, you can write all an all front end site. You know you can write a React site and get data from APIs and things and store your JSON in there. And then process. There's some processing like because it has Pug, because it has Nunjux uh, and things like that. You you can build you can piece together a multi page site. You know you can build something with pretty much all front end technologies, but but a lot more power than just the pen editor. So as you're building out these features for your website. How do you determine what features you're going to charge for and what features you're not going to charge for? That's kind of the eternal question, really. <laughs> uh, you just, you just, a lot of it, I'm sure, is just gut instinct. A lot of it is, you know, this project editor is is freemium as well. Like as an absolutely free user on CodePen, you get one of these. So the idea is we have to charge for this. We literally hired people just to build this. Like we needed manpower and, and, and I'm sure both of you know, the most expensive thing for a technology company is, is human beings to get, you know, like our, yeah. our hosting is, is a lot of money and it's not even one employee. I don't think, you know, right. uh, employees right. are a lot. So, you know, and we are three of them or four really or three full-time developers to, to, and they're, you know, we're basically charged with let's help us build this project editor. No way can we just give it away for free. We're just not that kind of company. We're not, we're not just a get eyeballs kind of company. We decided like this took us a year to build and in a lot of human beings and in order to be profitable, which we're always trying to be, yes, this thing is, has to be fairly locked down. You know, it has to be a a thing that you, that you pay to use, but it, it is tricky because I don't know. The the more you give away, the a little bit more hearts and minds and stuff you capture. A little more people you get interested in using your thing right out right out of the uh, the gate. You know, one of the things I'm I'm noticing a lot more in the software development community in general, and you know, regardless of whether it's JavaScript or Java or Go, for instance, we're seeing a lot of coding in the browser scenarios coming up. Right, like a lot of hey, I don't need a too much of a powerful machine. I could code in a browser and I could execute my stuff elsewhere, right? On the cloud or, you know, in a container or some other machine, right? And it's a shift I've kind of been noticing happening over over the past couple of years. Do you think in, in the future, like, you know, products like CodePen and uh, I know Microsoft has their Monaco thing inside of Visual Studio that's, that runs online. You know, do you think that eventually, like, this is probably going to be the way that we're building apps mainly in the future? Like uh, writing yeah. in the browser and executing it. I think it's you know, pretty in inevitable, actually. And it's, I mean, I guess it's something we're watching, but it's not like we're trying to be the the absolute front running leaders in that necessarily. You know, I think right. technology just has to slowly get there, and things need to be just happen in the world of technology that will that will enable that, and then we'll then we'll be there. Like for example, like this projects uses like kind of a file system that you need to mount over the internet. It uses Amazon EFS to do that. And it's great and it's cool and it enables this. Like there's a lot of technologies that have come together to even make CodePen projects possible. You know, like right. Docker is one of those technologies that's so great. It basically, when you're working in projects, you get your own little Docker container that is running stuff like a, you know, there's a gulp process that's watching these files that and it's, it's watching a a volume that's mounted over Amazon EFS and, and, and stuff. Right. So it's like, those are technologies that just happen to kind of be possible and exist that we could leverage. So 
could we build something that's like as good as working in Microsoft Visual Studio Code on your local computer in the browser right now? I don't think so. I don't think tech is is ready. I mean, especially like a Rails app or something with thousands of thousands of files in it, which you just expect to be able to hit, you know, find and project and have the results come back in instantly with the things that you result for. Like the, there's no network locally and the network is the bottleneck. So, I, you know, I think that will get there. Like EFS is going to have to, or, and things like it are going to have to get a lot faster. The network is going to get have to get a lot faster. There's, you know, there's just technology that just needs to get better, and then that right. will become possible. And there's thing, there's there's places that are doing it because there's what is it, Cloud Nine or whatever. That that's another one where you can spin up stuff. So there's people doing a good job that are trying to be the front runners here, but it's just not as good, I don't think, as working locally. So why would you use CodePen? Then why did we build this at all? It's kind of like it is. It has advantages though. You don't have to npm install anything. You don't even have to know what that is. You can just ha- you don't have to know what Git is. You don't have to know nothing to get started in CodePen projects. It's just easy and it's shareable. So it's like there's a lot of I work in CodePen projects to build a lot of my simple things. I have multiple hosted projects. I should mention you can deploy them too and buy domain names and map them to your projects. You can actually like host real websites through CodePen projects. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's just a cool little bonus feature that makes it more useful. It's a big question, but but yeah, like it it lowers the bar to entry so much to to the point where it's it's useful for for beginners and it's useful for people that just don't want to screw around with <laughs> making a folder and you know npm and a little more structure and more files, right? Yeah, just oh, get started right. right away, and then I and then I can send it to you. You know, like if if I was going to send you a project that was working on locally, I'd be like, well, what's the best way to do it here? Should I push up the files to like a little Heroku thing or something? Or should I make a Git repo quick and then send you the Git repo? But like, does it, does it need to be private or public or what? Like private and public is just a toggle in CodePen. You know, you just, I don't know. It's just, hopefully it simplifies enough things that it's right. It's sure, worth sure, it for sure. people to use. So you, you must have seen tons of different products. I don't know how many users you have on CodePen, but I'm sure you have a lot of them. What are some of the more interesting projects or like, you know, the projects that you've seen online and you've been like, wow, like I never even thought somebody would build that type of, write that type of code on this site. Oh, oh on CodePen itself. On CodePen itself, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that happens fairly regularly. People make something that's just mind-blowingly wonderful. <laughs> right. Um, and it's going to start happening more and more with projects, I hope. But a kind of a good place to explore like some like hundreds of mind-blowing examples of that is to look at our best ofs that we wrap up every year. So I think it's, um, but we, we have like, you know, it's like codepen.io slash like 2016 dash pens or something like that. That's not correct, actually, but it's something like that. I don't know why I can't find it right this second, but it's, it's like algorithmically what are like the top 100 pens of each given year. And even if you right. go back like four years, it's still like, what? <laughs> you know, kind of incredibly creative stuff. So I'd encourage looking at that. Tell me about how did you go from being a developer and or you know front end designer to now you have the site and you need to get into the marketing and the sales and you know like how, like how did that stuff come about for you like how did you approach having to deal with that and having to sell you know justify hey you want to buy my pro licenses and being able to make money off of your website Yeah I mean I a little bit got to cheat because even at the time CodePen was launched, CSS Tricks was four or five years old. So, and that CSS Tricks has its own audience of sort. Oh, that's the exact same audience as as what, who I wanted to share CodePen with. So I got that as a freebie for marketing. And to this day, anything that's like a big deal on CodePen, I can just go over to CSS Tricks and market it there too and reach a lot of people that are exactly who I want to reach. And now CodePen, because it's free to sign up for, has a ton, a ton of users. It has like, I don't know, 1.1 or 1.2 million registered users at this point, which isn't the mo- the most interesting metric for web apps, I'm sure you know, is like the like the active users, like daily active users yeah. or whatever. I don't know what that number is, honestly. I don't know that I would share it if I had it anyway, because that seems to be one apps keep close to their chest for whatever reason. But, but just signed up users, we made public for a long time. I think it's not public anymore, but only because I think the query was a little ridiculous to have on a public site. So not just the count, but we had a bunch of, of weird queries there too. Like, 
anyway, it doesn't matter. But it's yeah, it's like over a million, definitely like well over a million registered users on it. And and you know, you, you agree when you sign up, and you can always unsubscribe at any time. But we kind of opt you into receiving our general announcement email which we send to once in a while you know yeah we actually have a weekly newsletter now too which is similarly you can unsubscribe from but it's kind of like what's the coolest stuff that happened on CodePen this week kind of thing we call the CodePen spark but yeah once in a while you get some marketing stuff from off it's like here's some new interesting things that happened at CodePen and that you know that doesn't find new customers for you but does tell a large existing user base of mostly free users hey, maybe I can compel you to sign up for a pro plan. And there's definitely like opportunity to be had there. We don't do a lot of outside advertising. When projects launched, we did a little bit. We sponsored some newsletters, a couple of podcasts, but uh, didn't go crazy with it. In fact, that budget, I think, was lower than $5,000. We don't, I just don't, don't, we're not seeing that money. We're not seeing $5,000 spent in advertising turn into $5,000 in revenue. And I, I don't know how to square that with myself or my team yet because you seem like it seems like you, you look at apps like MailChimp that must spend a, millions of dollars and like are you getting millions of dollars in customers that can't be true but maybe they are because they do so much of it like I just don't know how that works but I've yet to be compelled to drop tens or hundreds of thousand dollars on marketing I just can't I can't get my body to do it yeah because you have to have some track back right like you need to you need to see you know this dollar went out and this what what came in right like you need to be able to see yeah I'd be tempted to do it if I was somewhere like SurveyMonkey and I, I knew that if I spent that money, I could reach some untapped market. Like I could get all real estate people to use us or something that we had some data weren't using us, but we knew that they could benefit from it. That seems like right. a place that you'd throw money at to see if, if you could get this vertical that you didn't have before. We kind of have our vertical in a sense. Like we're really speaking just to front-end web designers and developers. And I'm like on the prowl in that industry. I'm out there speaking at events and I'm writing articles and I'm guest blogging on other sites. And like I know tons of people in that world. And uh, it's just, it's not saturated. We have plenty to go, but I I don't, I don't think money is going to help us get there more than effort will. So Chris, you know, again, this is away from the keyboard, right? So I have to ask you the questions of the show. And, you know, that is, what do you do when you're away from the keyboard? Oh, I love it. Bringing it home. <laughs> That's great. Um, I like outdoors stuff as much as I can. I wish I did more of it. And in fact, this is, you know, we're, me and my, my fiance now are looking at moving to another city this fall that, where that can be just so much more a part of our daily lives. Like I'm not much of a skier, but I wish I was, I wish I could wake up and go skiing before I even got to work, but I love hiking and snowshoeing and just anything outside. I, I love to do play with my dog outside. I want that to be more a part of my life. I'm a, a a little bit of an amateur musician that's fallen the wayside the last number of years because it just that's just life takes me that way. But I still always dream about it. In fact, you know, I've spent a lot of my I, I play the banjo and the mandolin and the guitar and the the bass a bit, and I play like folk and bluegrass music is my thing. Oh, that very I really cool. Like, so I make that. Are as you self taught or no? As I can. I I don't know. I, I feel like that's a funny word I've <laughs> written about a little bit because it's like. <laughs> Uh, to some degree, yeah. Have I ever taken a lesson in my life? Sure. Have I watched a ton of YouTube videos on it? Yep. Have I talked to friends? Have I do I go to uh, uh, music festivals and play with other people and have them teach me something? Sure. Do I have books on it? Absolutely. You know, like self. T- you know, I'm like I'm everything taught. Any opportunity I've had to learn, I've taken. You know. Nice. That's awesome. And how how many years have you been doing that for? Is that something you've yeah much you longer know, than web development? Yeah. Was, really. I was, That's cool. I was fairly young, but not a kid. You know, I think I was early. Have high you school. ever been in a band, or you know? Yeah, absolutely. I had a bluegrass band for quite a while. Although bluegrass in quotes, it wasn't exactly traditional because we were young and progressive and wanted to mix all kinds of music together and stuff. I was in a, an Irish punk band for a while. I'd gig out doing like Cajun and Creole stuff a little bit. So that nothing super famous, but. One band, the Groggers, has an app on has an album on iTunes to this day, so that's kind of fun. Nice, very but, cool. But uh, it was it was amateur hour, you know. <laughs> yeah, cool, man. Well, hey, Chris, again, thank you so much for being on the show, man. We really well, do appreciate I got it. I got one more question. Sure. Oh, you do? Yeah, I do. Go I do. For it, dude. So you know, I've been in Miami all my life. I never really lived anywhere else, and kind of don't want to go anywhere else. So, what was it like for you, who were, I guess, a Midwestern guy? Coming down from Miami for seven months, what's the what was the experience of 
going from essentially the heartland of America to what it would be Latin America in the United States. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It really does feel like Latin America of the United States. You know, Miami's got the diversity thing going on in the best possible way. You know, I, I liked being uh, part of that to some degree. Uh, just, I don't know, just, it just feels a, a bit different. But, you know, I was into all, we, we tried to make the best of it. We went to the Keys a bunch, you know, we... Uh, 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 went to the the beach a bunch, but we didn't live anywhere near the beach. We were like way south Miami. Uh, what was our little neighborhood called? Quail Quail Roost, I guess. It's way down. Oh, you live near me. Oh, right on, in in like Cutler Bay or whatever down there. Yep, yep, um, yep. Yeah, that's my hood. Well, that's yeah, right on. So we were, I was, we were down there, and you know, so you know what it takes to like get to Miami Beach. You know, it's like an hour practically. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> but we did it because I just wanted to do that. And sometimes we'd go to the beach on the weekends a bunch. But I was way into the, like, the, you know, like the first croquette I ever had was the, in those seven months. And now I'm like <laughs> looking for them up here, which they absolutely don't exist. And all that great Cuban food and the vodka frita. And the... <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. You know, were you able to experience some uh, other? The, I know the Cuban food is probably on, on every street corner here. But we do have a lot of other different food, Venezuelan and uh, yeah. Peruvian and all these. Did you were you able to get to flavor uh, not, some um, of the other? I think I probably did, but don't have it as locked <laughs> in my mind how to talk about it as as, as well, you know. But then, you know, that we I worked at uh, or got a membership kind of thing at the at uh, uh, CIC Miami, which is like a co working tech space there that was really cool that's another something that is i don't know it's not totally unique to miami because there's a couple of them but it's a really cool place in miami i think and it's just a it's just a cool city and there's just a lot to like about miami winwood is so cool and i don't know i enjoyed it we'd like to thank chris for being a guest on the show it was great to have the opportunity to chat with him if you like the show Please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTKpodcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jars. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us take, sign up to our newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind the access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have Aurelia Muser from the Mozilla Science Lab. Well, hopefully you'll have internet by then. <laughs> uh, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know, man. Things have been a little slow here recently trying to get back up and running i'm just glad i have air conditioning because i didn't have it a day ago i uh, do you know at least we had power but the other thing is is a little bit of a first world inconvenience right now oh my gosh yeah so if you go through the storm and you have a cell phone you have cell connection but you don't have cell data it's mind numbing it's like but i have connection i should be able to have this and the pings you'll get maybe every 10th 10 pings you'll get going through to Google and then that's it. It's like unreach, unreach, unreach. Hey! Unreach, 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 unreach. Yeah, dude, it is so painful. Oh my god. Yeah, it it this was this was a tough one. And because I, I couldn't you there's nowhere you can go to escape the effects of the storm, right? So Jacksonville is feeling effects from the storm just as much as South Florida and it's not like I can, you know, go out of town for a few days and have normalcy. It's like the whole state, man. It's like no one has cell, like, cell coverage with data that's, that's, you know, there all the time. It's really spotty and it's, it's really annoying. It's really hard to get information in and out now. But I have internet. <laughs> Lucky bastard. I know. I know. Anyway, see everybody next time. Peace. want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
host Richie Dutton. Cecil and, and Richie. And uh, so we're both in South Florida um, right now. And I think you're in, you're on the East Coast, right? Uh, I was in Miami for the last seven months and I've just moved away back. It was kind of a temporary thing down there. And now I'm seven months back oh. in Milwaukee, which is where I kind of live at the moment. Oh, okay. Like, so we saw, I think when I initially um, contacted you, you know, I th- I saw that you were going to be in Miami, but I thought it was just like a Christmas thing. Like, I thought you were just going to be there for the holidays. Yeah. But seven no, months. No, it was wow. like my fiance had a gig at FIU in Miami and for, for the school year. So we moved down about Thanksgiving, it started a little late, and then we were done by May. So, but wow. we, you know, we picked up and moved. So we were there, living there wow. for the last seven months. Yeah, it was great. That's, that's interesting. Maybe we could talk about some of that on the show. That would sure. be pretty cool. Why would anybody move from Miami to Milwaukee? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> but um, so, Chris, I know it's been a little bit since we've been trying to get you on. So I'm kind of wondering, have you had a chance to listen to any of our previous episodes and kind of get a feel for what the show I is I haven't like? yet, but I'm on the website right now and I'll make sure to okay. subscribe. <laughs> sure. So, so kind of just in general, pretty much what we do is we try to talk to people from, you know, different facets of the technology community. And really, just try and find about about the person behind the um, behind the technology, right? So Fantastic. you know, we've spoken to students, we've spoken to startup founders, um, you know, database folks, programming oh, language awesome. folks, all kind of, you know, peers from yeah. different facets of the technology sphere, so to speak. Um, but we don't talk to them about the technology, right? But more so, we talk about your journey to where you are today, and you know, interesting projects that you're working on, and, you know, things that really might, you know things that are really, you know, driving your passion today. And so, so those are some of the things that we really want to focus on, obviously, with you. Um, so that being said, it's not a conversation that's going to be void of technology. Like, it's not like, you know, if you say CSS, we're going to get mad and say, no, you can't uh, say that kind of thing. Right, I'm hanging up, Cecil. I'm done. You said CSS. <laughs> I don't want nothing to do with this. Right. It's, it's definitely not like that at all. But it's, it's also the case that we don't want to go down into, you know, compilers and transpilers and runtimes and that type of conversation right we want to keep it fairly neutral so that you know it's, it's very approachable from you know different different um you know people with different levels of experience if that makes sense sure sure so um you know outside of that you know one of the things that we always like to tell our guests is you know if there's anything at all that you don't want to talk about um yeah, let us know yeah. we can avoid it and, and i know that's the happened. same thing on uh on chop talk show give people that that out um i don't i don't have anything so yeah. Again, you know, we just want to say so because it's it's happened yeah. to us in the past. So you know, just to let you know, that you had that sure. opportunity to, you know, avoid the topic if if needs be. But um, well, now that we talk about that, oh, on September twenty eighth, two thousand fourteen, where were you uh, <laughs> at ten p.m.? <laughs> I have here a police report. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 